This episode of the Fat or Future podcast is sponsored by, well, me and my diet crash course exclusively from Himalaya Podcast Networks. What is my diet crash course? Well, have you ever been curious about 20 of the top diets in the world? You wanted the cliff notes to all of them because you just don't want to read all the books. I have you covered with my diet crash course. 20 of the top diets in the world and maybe some you haven't heard of. Should you try them? What are they about? What does the research say? What does the research maybe not say? Himalaya.com forward slash diet and listen for free and use code diet to listen for two weeks of the Himalaya Diet Crash Course exclusively on the Himalaya Podcast Player. Himalaya.com forward slash diet. And I will see you there. Thank you to Third Wheel Podcast Studio in LA for the great editing work on our show every week. If you're ever in LA and need a studio to use, they have full audio and video capabilities and awesome engineers. They also have a Seattle location coming soon. And of course, if you're just looking for production and editing, they have you covered there too. Check them out online at thirdwheelpodcaststudio.com. What's up? It's Joey Thurman. Here's another episode of the Fat or Future Podcast. We just need to pop a bunch of vitamins, right? We need to take those and we'll all be okay. We can eat a bunch of shit. It doesn't matter as long as we take our vitamins. Well, my next guest and my friend, Masha Davis, she says, eat your vitamins. What do we, we can actually eat our vitamins, Masha? That's right. That's right. That is the premise of my new book with Simon and Schuster called Eat Your Vitamins. So instead of take your vitamins, I am all about focusing on getting them from natural whole sources. So the whole fruit and vegetable. There's so many compounds in whole fruits and vegetables and whole foods in general that we don't get in supplements. Mm -hmm. Some of these compounds haven't even been identified yet. So these are like super nutritive, powerful, you know, antioxidants, phytonutrients, really awesome things that have incredible health benefits that you can only get from eating the whole food. Amazing. So, I mean, because me, look, I, and I'm always honest on this podcast. So I take a bunch of supplements. I take a bunch of vitamins, but honestly, I don't pay for them. They get sent to me. So I get a lot of free things, which I'm sure you do. Now, I would probably be taking some vitamins anyways, uh, because it's hard for me to eat the wide array. And like, you've got a great book here. Uh, but I want to talk about some news that you have, and then we'll kind of get into everything. So you have a product that just launched. That's very exciting. What's it called? It's called Mini Fish. Many fish. Many fish. The cleanest, most sustainable superfood, seafood product that you can get on the market. As a dietitian, I've been recommending this kind of product to my clients for years, but it didn't exist. So I had to make it myself. Nice. So what is it in a pack there? I see you don't have it in the refrigerator. Like how do you eat it? You just open it up and you pop it in your belly or what? Exactly. I mean, everybody wants the quick, convenient thing. People yeah. want to get all the benefits without putting in the work. So you can't always do that. But in this case, I did it. Nice. <laughs> so so it's shelf-stable. Why do we need to get, I mean, you said you've been recommending this for your clients. And you talked about how October is National uh, Fish Month. National Seafood Month. National yeah. Seafood Month. So why, why do we need to eat fish? Let's start right there. Yeah. So, um, I mean, 
fish and you know this with protein right it's like one of the best leanest cleanest sources of protein you can get and 80 to 90 percent of americans don't meet the bare minimum the bare minimum recommendation for fish which is two times a week only two servings a week that's not that much yeah. but most people actually don't eat that and I was trying to figure out like, why is this with my clients? And a lot of people just, they don't, they don't have the time. They don't know how to prepare fish. They just find it like a little bit confusing or off putting, or it's like this daunting thing. So even if they want to eat it and they don't mind the taste of it, they still don't. Yeah. And the ready to eat options that are out there, like the canned and the pouched seafood is not palatable to a lot of consumers. Like I like all seafood just about even the canned stuff, but I actually don't buy it a lot of the time because those cans, the consumer experience, just honestly, it kind of sucks. Like you open the can, it gets all over your counter, that stinky oil. It's like on your hands. It's so like smelly and gross. You can't eat it around anyone else. Cause it's like offensive. <laughs> and you smell like a hockey locker room for days. Legit. So, so I like literally I solved all those issues with mini fish. This, it smells amazing, tastes amazing. It's super fresh, super clean, sustainable, incredibly nutrient dense. So it's the thing that I wished I could give to my clients who should be eating more fish and seafood, which is almost everyone. Right. Now, I mean, you say mini fish. So is this the smaller fish? Because the larger fish has much more mercury in it. Like the, the big fish eats, eat the, eat the smaller fish and those fish eat other fish and then the mercury accumulates. So people are always concerned about mercury, especially pregnant women. I know when my wife was pregnant, like she was very careful of, you know, the amount of mercury that she was having. So why do we need to be concerned about mercury? And then why are the mini fish better? Yeah, exactly. Um, your points were totally on point that bioaccumulation as the fish gets bigger is the issue. Mm -hmm. And this is also the issue with ocean caught fish because our oceans are polluted. Yeah. So what I'm using in for mini fish is the cleanest, most sustainable aquaculture steelhead trout. Mm -hmm. So A, it's a smaller fish, so it doesn't bioaccumulate much, yeah. but B, it's an aquaculture fish, which means it's farmed in an incredibly sustainable operation, the water comes from, it's from the Sawtooth Mountains. It's this pure <laughs> spring water. And the levels of mercury and environmental contaminants are essentially undetectable. Wow. So yeah. this is, you know, I have a lot of pregnant clients and I work with kids and these populations especially have to be super careful, not just with mercury, but with the microplastics, with all these other contaminants that are in our oceans. Mm -hmm. So I was really, really cognizant of that when developing mini fish. So the, so the name mini, it's kind of a play on a few things. One, the fish is a smaller fish. Right. Two, minimal impact on the environment. That was really, really important to me because our oceans are in crisis right now and they are getting fished out. So we have to be really cognizant of that. And, and also I'm kind of mini, so it all just works together. <laughs> Mini fish by the mini mogul CEO, right? <laughs> yes. Now, why do you, so what is the environmental contaminants and, and mercury and mercury crosses the blood brain barrier? Why do we need to be concerned about that? Because a lot of people 
they, they're really, they're, they're mercury people are often aware of, but you're talking about these other contaminants. Why do we need to stay away from them and not get them by way of what we eat or, you know, things we put in our skin, all sorts of other stuff? Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of these are toxins. Some of them like mercury is a neurotoxin, which means it's damaging to the brain and others can be, you know, the microplastics, those have been shown to be endocrine. So hormone disruptors. So these are like, these are really significant, dangerous compounds. Of course, the amount varies. There's always like a tolerance limit and and that's still being researched um obviously it's best to avoid them as much as possible which is almost impossible in today's society but you know when you're eating natural whole foods and lots of fruits and vegetables because that fiber is one of the best ways to detoxify Mm. um, and get flush some of those things get those things out of your system you know, so, so there's ways to mitigate for it. And then of course, like trying to make conscious choices when you're shopping for food. Okay. So let's talk about getting rid of those toxins. If any, uh, what specifically should people be adding to their diet that, I mean, if you're looking at the Western or standard American sad diet, right? It's just beige and crap in their processed food and ingredients you can't pronounce. So what should most people be incorporating to their diet that they're not, it doesn't even need to be anything fancy, like some sort of goji berry or something from the Sahara. Like what, what, I mean, really, we, we always try to look for these next new things, but like maybe it's something as simple as eat some blueberries. What, what do you feel like what you recommend to most of your clients? Here's what you need to add. And then you can start from here. It really is as simple as fresh fruits and veggies. That's it. Like doesn't matter which ones, just eat them apples, berries, greens, the green veggies in particular have additional like nutritive phytonutrient compounds that are really powerful and have some great detoxifying effects. But anything that's fresh and has that fiber, we want fiber. So not juice because juice is stripped of the fiber, which is what gives that really awesome detoxifying effect. As it passes through our digestive tract, it actually binds to toxins, waste products, and helps to flush them out of the system. Okay. So, I mean, how does it do that? Because you see people all the time, like, detoxes don't work, and these, like, cayenne lemon concoctions and all sorts of crap and supplements and everything else. I mean, isn't our body just naturally ready to detoxify itself? Like, how does it work by adding these fruits and vegetables and other things that are, that are going to help get rid of that and then the fiber? I mean, what's kind of the, the process of having that and essentially helping our body detoxify? Yeah. I mean, our body has this highly sophisticated detoxifying mechanism already built in. We have our liver, we have our kidneys, we have our lungs and our skin. So all of these different organs help to detoxify and rid our system of anything that's harmful or, or toxic. And the fiber just supports our body in doing that. Because once, once those things are kind of processed and metabolized and ready to be eliminated, there needs to be a method to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's usually through things like the stool, urine, sweat, 
So we have to make sure that we're getting plenty of fiber so that we have healthy stool mm -hmm. and tons of water because that helps to flush things out of the body as well. Okay. Now, what about, I mean, so this is the fad or future podcast. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention some things that could potentially be fad. I've had a couple carnivore experts on and you're talking about fiber. If somebody's eating just nothing but like straight meat and they're pretty much lacking fiber, what's going to happen to their body in the detoxification process is according to most experts that we're going to need that fiber unless you're talking to somebody that's, you know, straight up carnivore eating nose to tail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that'll totally disrupt, disrupt that process that can disrupt your digestive tract. It, you know, in the short term, it can cause things like constipation because you're not getting the fiber to move things through, but over the long term, it can cause some of those waste products to build up and that's when they can start to cause harm mm -hmm. and cause damage. And, you know, the weight of the evidence clearly shows that eating a diet that's really heavy in meat is linked to an increased risk of things like colon cancer, other forms of cancer, heart disease, all of these things that we really want to avoid. Right. So if people want, if people are having, let's say, you know, extremely high amounts of meat, would having the, the extra greens and fruits and vegetables counteract that, especially if they're active, right? So then their body's going to uh, utilize that much more in the protein. If you're having a couple hundred grams of protein and you're the couch potato and you're sitting on your ass, your body's not going to utilize that. But by having you know, extra greens and phytonutrients and extra fiber, and you're trying to put on muscle and encourage like protein synthesis and an indoor pathway, is that going to counteract that? Yeah, I, th I would say yes. I would say it would. Having as if you're adding in all of those other beneficial compounds mm -hmm. and helping to really get that detox process, the digestive process going, flushing out those, you know, even excess fats are flushed out by fiber. So if you're eating a lot of meat, you're probably getting excess saturated fat, mm -hmm. which can be balanced counterbalanced by eating more fiber because that helps to bind to some of that excess fat that's circulating in your system and flush it out. Interesting. Okay. So eat your vitamins. All right. Let's, let's talk about <laughs> some other stuff. Um, I, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. So what about, so we're talking about fruits and vegetables. What about phytic acid and tannins and lectins and all these sort of things that are talked about by um, these defense mechanisms that, you know, like uh, almonds are going to have or your legumes and people that are, you know, pro, let's go pro legume, I guess that's a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, could, that could be a whole new book concept. Yeah, so that's my third book. Uh, <laughs> well, pro legume. So they talk about like blue zones and this is the one thing that they're, they're having, they're having legumes, but then you look at somebody else who's saying, well, actually this is hard for your body to digest and it's an anti-nutrient and, and it's stripping you from nutrients. What do you think about that argument? Super good point. And so many people are so confused about this because there's like really conflicting, contradictory things that you hear. Some people say that like beans and legumes and, you know, all these foods are so great. And, and then there's other people who are saying that they're like harmful and toxic and you should eliminate them. Here's the interesting thing. I, I wouldn't say that either one is totally right or wrong. Uh -huh. So there's a couple of elements at play here. One personalization, right? Individual genetics, how your body interacts with
with these different, they are prepared. So yes, beans and lentils do contain compounds called lectins. Also, not all lectins are bad. There's all kinds of emerging research that shows that some lectins have anti-cancer properties, for example. So some lectins are great and can even be helpful. Lectins can also cause harmful and negative reactions like pain and bloating and other digestive issues. The interesting thing with most lectins in foods like legumes, like the beans and lentils, is that they are destroyed by heat. Mm. So don't eat raw beans. That You're going to get sick. <laughs> That's like the, the red kidney bean, right? There was, um, I don't know, a school years back where they undercooked their beans and all these kids got like digestive problems. Exactly. It was because of the lectins because they weren't totally broken down. But if foods are cooked properly, if they're cooked thoroughly, then those lectins are mostly going to be destroyed. And if there is a small amount that's left, it won't be harmful to most people. Now, people who have really sensitive GI tracts, who have GI issues, may need to avoid them entirely. So there are some people who do have to avoid them. And again, this is where that like individualized, personalized approach is so important. It's why working with an expert like a dietitian is important because there's no one size fits all approach. You know, some people, some people can tolerate more. You know, some people need more carbs. Some people need more protein. It's really an individualized thing. Sure. So what about the, you know, the cooking process? Should people soak things or use a pressure cooker? Is there, is there one modality that seems to be better? Because a lot of people just don't know. Like they'll, they'll throw some beans, you know, some canned beans in a skillet and then a couple minutes they're, they're ready to rock. Does it need to hit a certain temperature or is there a lot of pressure or does the soaking kind of help get rid of it? All of those things help um, as long as they're like thoroughly cooked. Mm -hmm. So not like firm, they're like, you know, pretty soft, like really easy to chew. That should be a good indication that they're like cooked enough. And yes, soaking will help, pressure cooking will help, and then, you know, boiling them. So bringing them to a high heat, because that basically denatures or like destroys the lectins. Okay. Yeah. So I've, as part of this podcast, I try all sorts of different things out. So I'm currently on a 4,000 to 4,500 calorie vertical diet developed by a bodybuilder. And so, I just wrote an article about the vertical diet. Right? So, um, well, I want to hear what you're going to say about it because I'm going to have Stan, um, on in a few weeks. Uh, but so he, he's got me like soaking my almonds, which I've, n- I've never done that before. And actually, I like them better. They're almost a little bit sweeter. I soak them overnight, put like a little salt in there, and then you can. And they're like a little, you get like a little crunchy. Yeah, it's 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 like soft when you first bite into it, but like a little crunch to it, um, almost like a, um, a skittle. You shouldn't be eating skittles, but anyways, it's not. It's no no people. It's nowhere not near like a skittle. I'm just talking about the consistency. Skittles are delicious. I just don't eat them. Okay, it was one of one of my favorite candies growing up as a kid. All right, off on a tangent. So. What, what, what did you think about the vertical diet? I thought it was a bit extreme. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's pretty extreme. Um, you know, it, it tells people to cut out a lot of the foods that I think should be consumed. Right. You know, I'm all about getting a wide variety of colors and flavors and textures, eating all your vitamins. It also can be pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's 
that can turn off a lot of people to it. I mean, uh, full disclosure, as you've found out in these past 25 minutes, but I get all my meat for free from Del Campo, which is a regenerative uh, farm. And like I'm ordering lots of red meat and stuff. I'd be spending a lot of money by, by doing that. So yeah, I mean, for me, I, I had things like I originally wasn't having dairy but I'm actually adding cheese, you know, to things that I eat. I'm like, oh, I can have cheese again. I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I'm a cheese head. Go Packers. I grew up in Wisconsin too. Have we talked about this? We have not. Where'd you grow up? In Madison. Yeah, I grew up in Appleton. Uh, my, my sister's still in Appleton. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of people that I still know in Wisconsin. See, look at that. I, I figured there was a reason why I liked you. I guess we <laughs> we've, we've got the, we're both nice Midwestern people. <laughs> Yeah, I was in Wisconsin until I was about 13 in St. Louis until 23 after being a meathead playing college hockey in St. Louis and then uh, been in Chicago for God, hold on, I know. Uh, I'm 37. Okay, so I've been here. I'm 37 too. Oh, yeah, okay. Crazy. <laughs> 14 years? Well, math. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. To Wisconsin next. Uh, so, I mean, your book, Eat Your Vitamins, uh, and, and people, Make sure you follow uh, Masha on Instagram, social media, Nominees and Nutrition. Uh, can people actually eat all of the vitamins they need? Because most people, as I said, they're just eating just this kind of bland diet. I mean, do you really think it's possible for someone to get all the vitamins that they actually need by way of what they're eating? Excellent question. This is, you have such good questions. I can tell you've like gone through the book and like <laughs> really prepared. This is, this is going to be so useful to so many people. Um, so actually, even though I wrote a book called Eat Your Vitamins, and I really advocate for trying to get most of your vitamins and nutrients from food instead of supplements, I totally recognize that this is, this is really hard to do for a lot of people. And for some people, it's almost impossible. Um, a great example is pregnancy. You know, I totally advocate for taking supplements during pregnancy. It's really important, really essential. It's, it's almost it's really hard to get everything you need to cover every single base um, when you have such increased needs. Other times are during an illness or if you're recovering from something like a surgery or, you know, like a serious injury, then you may need to supplement. And, and again, it's a personalized thing. So getting your levels checked, you know, most people are deficient in things like vitamin D. Like almost, almost every single client I see is low in vitamin D. So I recommend that most people take a vitamin D supplement. It's so important for health. It's really hard to get enough of it from your diet. Um, so there's, you know, I'm not anti-supplement at all. I think it's more of trying to not over-supplement and to do it in a strategic way. Okay, so uh, let's, let's talk about things that you would recommend for people. So vitamin D, especially I'm in Chicago, and you can tell the light coming through here is not as good sometimes i've got my little beauty um makeup light right now um makeup I don't, i'm not wearing any makeup right now i should just finish the work look great you don't need it yeah. <laughs> okay yeah i look all right so what do you recommend in general for people so vi vitamin d is there anything that will help that that absorption because i've seen, seen some stuff where having the magnesium will help you absorption of vitamin d and like we need vitamin d so we can actually have absorb calcium as well, but do you recommend anything else? I mean, actually, eating your your mini fish is going to help a multivitamin. Any anything else besides that, or just basically vitamin D? 
You know what? Vitamin D is the only thing that I give kind of a blanket recommendation for. Like when I start working with someone in my practice and they say, should I take a supplement? I say, let's get your levels checked first. Let's find out where your, you know, where, where your B12 is at. Like don't take B12 if you don't, if you don't need it, but some people need it. But vitamin D is the only one where I'm like, you're probably deficient. Okay. Like there's, there's like a nine out of 10 chance, even higher that you're, that most people are low. So that's the one that I kind of blanket recommend. Other ones I prefer to do a assessment of the client for and see what are they eating? Like what's their diet like? If they're not getting a lot of things from their diet or they're not able to, for some reason, then I'll recommend more of like a multi-supplement. Okay. Most people are also deficient in magnesium. That's one that's not talked about as much, but um, that that's pretty safe to supplement with. Yeah. So that can be a good one too. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a magnesium at night as I get some restless legs, and that magnesium will kind of help with the, the muscular contraction and relaxation. Um, so I'll, I'll pop that at night. But yeah, there's a bunch of other supplements that are are sent to me nor do anybody actually have to take all the things that I pop in a day. Uh, but how are people going to get their, their vitamin levels checked? So, I mean, I, I know you can go get blood work checked, but is there a lot of people now are not, are, don't want a phlebotomist coming to their house for obvious reasons or going to a, a quest or some sort of lab? Is there something that they can just fill out some sort of form or how would they know if they're de deficient in something if they're not specifically getting a, a vitamin panel? Yeah. Awesome question again. So, so there's, there's a few different things that people can do. Um, the gold standard is still going to be doing the blood draw because that's where you can see like where your levels are at at that moment in time. Um, there's a few other things you can do at home if you're like, I'm not going into any doctor's office unless it's like life or death, which I totally understand right now. Um, there's this really awesome test that I just did myself. I'm waiting for my results. I'm really curious what I'm going to get back. It is an omega-3 test. So this is, this is so exciting because most people in the U.S. are deficient. And in order for us to really know how much fish and seafood they should eat, if they should be taking an omega-3 supplement, which is one of the, like, most critical, important nutrients implicated in so many different processes, super anti-inflammatory, really important for immunity. Um, you can do a, it's a finger prick test that you can do at home. So you just get this little kit, prick your finger, put the drop of blood on this piece of paper, mail it in, and then you get your omega-3 panel. Mm -hmm. So you can see exactly where you're at, if you have enough, or if you're deficient, most people are probably deficient. It's actually super affordable. Um, so I think this is a game changer. I think everyone should be doing this. It's called Omega Quant. Okay, cool. Uh, so that's a good one. Um, yeah, and let me just tell you about the other after one. After this, and then I'll put it in the show notes with a link so people can have it. And I'll be able to like a link to your stuff too. But then people can uh, go in the show notes and click on that and check that out. Awesome. The other thing that people can do is a nutrigenomics test. So nutrition and genetics talking about fat or future. This is, this is the future of health and wellness and nutrition. So this is a test that I offer to my clients and it can be done at home as well, which is awesome. So many people want that right now. 
So it's a cheek swab. You get the kit, swab each cheek, put it back in, drop it in the mail. The lab is actually in Chicago. It's this awesome lab. This is all very science-based. Um, definitely not a fad. It's all backed by tons of research. And basically this test looks at about 70 different genetic markers that are linked to health and nutrition. So it will come back with information like the optimal macronutrient ratio for your body type. So proteins, carbs, fats, some people need more of one, less of the other, and other people are totally different. It, it will also show if you are predisposed to being low in certain vitamins. So some people genetically, because of how they are metabolizing and absorbing these things, they have a genetic variant that will predispose them to being lower in mm. something like vitamin A or vitamin D. So that can help to guide whether they supplement and, and all of that. It just helps to personalize their plan a lot more. Right. No, that's really smart. So some people have like a genetic polymorphism where they can't process fats and where maybe that keto wouldn't be good for them because they're having high amounts of fats that their body can't process it. So is that a lot or, of- those Or they're predisposed to having high cholesterol, mm. right? So these are also the people who have to be really careful with something like keto or the carnivore diet, because if they have that predisposition to having really high cholesterol or high triglycerides, then when they eat those foods, their levels might go up a lot more than someone who doesn't have that variant, who could then, you know, do keto or do the carnivore diet with a lot more safety and success. Right. Interesting. So if, if someone wasn't to get that and they, their body wasn't able to process fats well, or they were susceptible to, you know, high cholesterol levels, is there some indications that they might be feeling lethargic or nauseous or putting on extra fat? Is there anything that they would know just by how they're feeling? As opposed, I mean, it'd be great to get this test, but some people like to know, like, oh, okay, what's the first sign? Uh, that's tough. You know, for like cholesterol and triglycerides, people won't feel it. Okay. <laughs> they're, that's one of those very silent things the time you feel it is when it's too late. That's when you're like getting a heart attack. Okay. All right. Well, so, <laughs> you know, get yourself checked out. So yeah. So you want to get that stuff checked, especially if you have a family history of heart disease, you know, high blood pressure, high cholesterol levels, get All that right. stuff checked out. Blood pressure cuff right here. Nice. Nice. I'm actually a little low, like 120 over 70 something, but I'm all right. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm <laughs> all right. So you, you talked about uh, if, if people are, you know, when they're getting this test and whether they're high carbohydrates or lower carbohydrates, it's probably based off of their genetic variant where maybe their ancestors were from Asia and they were having like high amounts of rice and fish and their body can handle that or Inuit or anything like that where versus some uh, scarcity where they're having like high levels of meat and, you know, could only have fruits and vegetables when they were available to them in the season. But what about the four letter word carb? What do you, what do you think about carbohydrates? Because everybody, you know, they're always freaking out about, about carbs and I'm going to get fat if I have a piece of bread or if I have some quinoa or whatever, where do you feel like that fits um, 
for most people, especially having carbohydrates and trying to enjoy it and kind of getting rid of the stigma and the being scared of having some carbs. There is like a carb phobia in our culture. I literally see so many clients in my practice who are like afraid of carbs. <laughs> carbs are an essential food group. We need them. Pretty much everyone needs to be eating carbs all the time with every meal. They're the main macronutrient in most people's diets or they should be. There's nothing to fear. You know, the, the more important thing to look at is the quality of the carbs, right? So what kinds of carbs are you eating? Trying to make them less refined, less processed, choosing whole grains over the processed grains when possible. If you eat some processed grains, if you eat some dessert, if you eat some sugar every once in a while, it's okay. It's totally fine. Um, that's a huge part of my personal philosophy. And that's what the conclusions I've come to after all the research that I've looked at and done and having written a book that has a whole chapter on carbohydrates. Um, you know, they're wonderful. They're important. They're essential. They're necessary for energy, for mood, for good digestion, fiber, that magical nutrient that most people don't get enough of. Fiber is a carb. So carbs are, essential they're very important i think a lot of people forget about fiber as actually being a carbohydrate and then that's why if you're looking at if you're, if you're somebody that's tracking their net carbohydrate or their fiber isn't digesting um and they're just like oh my god i'm having these carbs but like they're, when they're they're seeing me eat and like actually if i'm getting ready for a photo shoot or something yes i'm dropping down i'm having extremely low carbs we have a couple of berries or something but that's just because carbohydrates are susceptible to storing about three grams of water per gram. So if I'm going to cut down for a shoot, yeah, I can cut carbs for a couple of weeks. Um, but when I have them, I'm having them structured around my workout so they can fuel my workout and repair my body. But these carbohydrates that people are having, I, it's a, could it be similar to not having like the proper amount of like animal source protein, where if you're having some sort of like deli or processed meat versus having some sort of processed crap carbohydrate or chips that, are, that aren't providing your body with proper nutrition, would that fall along the same lines or just like, is your body just going to use carbs the way they're, they're meant to be broken down into kind of sugar? The body's going to use them. You know, the bigger thing with carbs is the glycemic level. So how processed they are. Um, so you want to watch that and really kind of modulate that effect as much as possible, which is easy to do if you're eating more whole grains than processed grains. That's really the, the big takeaway that I, mm -hmm. that I try to get people to, to focus on. It's not even that you have to like count the grams or, you know, obsess over it. It's more just like try to make more of your grains whole than processed. Okay. And is there anything along the lines of nutrient timing with when you're getting them in there? Because there, there used to be people talking about, okay, your first meal, or let's call it breakfast, whatever it is, whether that's breakfast at noon or 8 a.m., where they're, they're getting their, their front-loading, their carbohydrates, so the body can use it, use it. But there's actually some people now that are saying, okay, you can go pretty much no carb all day long, and then backload it, and then your body can refuel those glycogen stores. What have you seen to be the case where they're just person-dependent? 
This is also one of those super individual individualized things. So different people will, will respond differently. And even, you know, men and women will respond really differently. Like with intermittent fasting, it's often more challenging for women because of the hormone fluctuations that women have. Like there's certain days that women need more carbs and more fuel than others. So it's a, it's a very individualized thing. There's some interesting research that's come out that, that's showing that if you eat protein and fat first and then have your carbs, so even at your meal, you have your plate, you've got your different food groups, you have your, you know, your protein, you have your fat, you've got your avocado, whatever, your veggies, and then let's say some brown rice. If you eat everything but the brown rice first, there's some research that's showing that it will not spike your blood sugar as much. Mm. So eating those other nutrients, it makes sense. You know, if you fill your stomach with those other things that slow the absorption, it makes sense that then your sugar wouldn't go up as much. So that's, you know, that's a timing thing that can be pretty easy to implement for a lot of people. Um, but in terms of the rest of it, I would say it's really an individual thing. It depends on your workouts, the time of day that you're exercising, depends on your sleep. You know, all of these things are going to affect the timing. The one thing that I would caution people with is having really big gaps especially if they have like a strong sense of hunger which is also a genetic thing yeah. some people are genetically predisposed to feeling hunger more intensely huh. um that's one of the things that nutrigenomic tests will show us um but if you have this huge gap and you're ravenously hungry it's very easy to overeat so that's the other thing that I would be cautious with because then it's just, you don't want to set yourself up for like binging at your meal where you have your carb. Yeah. That can be a risk for people if they're trying to time it, you know, too far apart. Okay. That makes sense. I know a lot of bodybuilders, they'll try to stay away from having a high fat meal right after their workout because they want that insulin response spike and then to shuttle those carbohydrates into their muscle cell for recovery so that makes sense why if you're adding the fat and the protein in there then it's going to slow down that essentially absorption rate or the, the spike um of the insulin uh, glycemic index all right so prebiotics probiotics what the hell are postbiotics <laughs> So postbiotics are basically the byproduct of probiotics breaking down. They're almost like the waste product of probiotics, which are those really good gut bacteria. They're short chain fatty acids. They, there's all this research coming out that shows that, you know, having the right types and the right strains can really affect things like, you know, your overall gut health, your immunity, all kinds of really essential things that are happening in the gut. So what should people be having to encourage these postbiotics? I mean, I think people are aware of probiotics now and often they're, you know, popping the probiotic pill, but, you know, prebiotics, which are going to feed your probiotics. What are some foods that people should be incorporating to enhance their postbiotics. Yeah. So you definitely want to be nourishing those probiotics, right? You want to nourish that good gut bacteria. And the way you do that is by 
feeding it plenty of prebiotics. So the probiotics eat, they basically you know, consume the prebiotics. Prebiotics are different fibers. So what has fiber? We're back to <laughs> my favorite word. <laughs> it's all those fruits and veggies and whole grains and then legumes and also nuts and seeds all have fiber. And you'll notice I didn't mention meat. I didn't mention fat. It's plant-based foods okay. are the ones that are kind of yogurt or kefir or things like that. So that's where you get those probiotics. Mm -hmm. The probiotic, the good bacteria are going to be cultured into those dairy products or, you know, there's lots of great vegan yogurts and kefirs and products that are that also have those now so even if you're lactose intolerant or don't eat dairy you can still get a lot of good probiotics okay cool so i told you i you know i'd respect your time so uh one more question what are you excited about besides mini fish and your ah, i was gonna say mini fish uh, I, I i know you're we already talked about mini fish i know you're excited about mini fish uh mini fish is a big deal so what are you excited about um, in regards to your industry and what's coming on next? You know what I'm super excited about today? So we're in October now, right? And I am doing Sober October. Ooh. So I'm all about balance and I love my cocktails and my wine and my champagne, but this is something that I committed to doing. And there's some really interesting research that's showing the benefits of cutting out alcohol. Um, maybe not entirely, but you know, cutting it out for a period of time can lead to a lot of improvements in gut health, in your probiotics and postbiotics, in your sleep, in your mood, in your workouts. It can really help to optimize these things. Can I show you the product that's Absolutely. like going to help me do this sober October? Yes, of course. Okay. Okay. I'm going to grab it. Hold on. Okay. She's coming back. Here she is. All right, you've got two bottles. Are you double fisting? I thought this was Sober October. Are you getting wasted right now? So check this out. This is, this is, I wish that you could smell this and like taste it. Smell so vision doesn't work right now. <laughs> not yet, not yet, soon. Um, so this is Ritual and this is um, an alcohol-free alcohol. So huh. basically I'm going to be using this to make all of my sober october cocktails mocktails all of these are botanical derived and they smell and taste kind of like alcohol so you can like, like you can garden. make a really awesome cocktail i can't open it now <laughs> but it's it smells really i wanted to like smell it on on air with you that's okay there's, there's only going to be a few clips out here so she opened it gracefully and she's <laughs> all right cool. so so yeah. October. I mean, I when you were running away, I was I was narrating, and I think I've had less than I don't know, 10, 12 drinks all year. I don't really drink much as it is. I mean, I've I've I had my my stint in college playing hockey, so I covered a lot of that. So I think I've I've drank enough for most people. But although <laughs> during quarantine, I think I did have like three bottles of wine in the three months. And I was like, "You're drinking wine again?" I'm like, "Well, it takes me." two glasses and half of the thing's gone. So maybe, maybe I, I rank more this year than normal, but sober October. All right. Vasha, where can people find you? 
So Instagram, nomadista underscore nutrition, my website, nomadista nutrition. Um, yeah, those are, those are the main spots. They can always email me, DM me, and my book is everywhere, including Amazon. So check that out. And then Minifish, um, we've got an Instagram too. It's minifish.co. Website is exactly the same, minifish.co. They can, um, we're doing a pre-order special right now. So people can pre-order it at a discount for a short time until yeah. the launch. So it's, it's about to come out. Okay. Um, yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for all of your help and your tutelage. Um, thanks for being a, a distant friend and a fellow cheesehead. Are you a Packer fan? <laughs> um, okay. So I don't really, people are going to freak out. I don't really watch sports. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to cut this part out and I'm just going to have you say yes. Just, just, just edit. <laughs> I love the Packers. <laughs> All right. I'm Joey Thurman. Here's another episode of the Fatter Future Podcast. Remember, don't be a fatty. F-A-D-D-Y. Be a part of the future. Cheers. Cheers.